From the EPR Creations Remote Studio, this is the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples, bringing you the Hot Takes Edition after Florida State blows out Boston College 44-14 to in a game that was not even as close as that score. And tell you what, when was the last time Florida State looked that dominant against a Power 5 opponent? to where the game was just never in doubt and it was a laugher from the first quarter on. It's been a while. I actually had to go and look this up myself. It's been since 2016 at Syracuse when Dalvin Cook ran for 225 yards and and Florida State won 45-14. to And in that game, Florida State had 8.6 yards per play on offense and allowed 2.64 yards per play on defense. That's the last time This team, this program had as dominant a win against a Power 5 team as what we just saw. And the week before that was the other last time. That was 2016 Boston College, 45-7. But that one actually was not really, even though the scoreboard was, was close to this one, that one was actually not quite as dominant because that was... 5.94 yards per play offensively and 3.84 yards per play allowed. So a little closer in terms of actual offense and defense. And then you have to go back the prior year. It was the Florida game, that game where Florida State basically shut Florida out. And they only had, I think, one other one that year that was that uh, that kind of laugher from start to finish. So it's been a long, long time. And today, 8 yards per play, 3.7 yards per play allowed, despite having a bunch of third stringers and so on in there in the fourth quarter on defense, still only 3.7 yards per play allowed. And all 14 of those points long after this game was, was decided. And exceeding the preseason expectations, in ter- or the pregame expectations, that is, uh, that I put down in the uh, in the pregame podcast where I said, look, this is going to be a game that Florida State should absolutely win and win comfortably, but we'll see how good this Florida State team actually is because it's a team that they should be able to put down quickly because this team shouldn't be able to score on them if they're interested on defense, and sure enough, that's what we saw, but it was offensively a more dominant per- uh, performance than I expected I projected around six and a half yards per play and 38 points. The 38 points was actually right offensively. Uh, They did have that long kickoff return that doesn't count toward offensive points. So that was right. But they averaged eight yards per play. Only reason they didn't score more points is they they didn't finish a couple drives they should have. uh, Got stuffed on fourth down. You know, just kind of shot themselves in the foot a couple times, which is going to give Norvell and company some opportunities to really get after them in terms of continuing to improve. We still haven't played our best game yet, et cetera. But defensively, a little bit not quite as dominant as I thought they'd be through four quarters. I, I was expecting around 3.1 yards per play and 10 points, but they could have choked them out that much. They just decided late to really play, to empty the bench and play a lot of guys. And you know, that, that showed up a little bit with that late score and, and a few extra yards per play. It was 3.3 yards per play, I think, at the end of the third quarter. So pretty close to expectations there. But, I mean, this game was over in the first quarter. 21 to nothing first quarter. Opening kickoff return for a touchdown uh, from Benson. That's the first kickoff return Florida State's had since a pretty meaningful 
kickoff return for a touchdown in January of 20, 2014. Y'all will remember Kermit Whitfield on that one. But this was, a, I mean, and, and to top it off, this, this closes a day in which Miami lost 45-31 to 31 to Middle Tennessee State, coached by former Florida State quarterback Rick Stockstill, in, in a game that wasn't even that close. I mean, that was not a fluke. Middle Tennessee State dominated that game. They, Middle Tennessee State had 8.3 yards per play and gave up 4.1 yards per play to Miami in that game. Miami's fortunate that that was 45 to 31 instead of something closer to, you know, 63 to to 20, something like that. I mean, those those yard per play figures those suggest an absolutely dominant performance. And, and Middle Tennessee State dominated Miami both in the secondary and on the line of scrimmage. I mean, that was, that was not a close game. And then Florida lost to another Tennessee team. They lost at Nayland Stadium, making uh, Billy Napier the first Florida head coach since 1955, I think it is, to lose to Kentucky and Tennessee in the same season. So not only does Florida State have the, the best looking performance start to finish the biggest blowout I should say they've had of any power five team in six years but the two rivals are uh showing they're 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 taking on water as as they say so uh what a time to be alive and offensively when you when you break this game down Travis had a pretty good uh pretty good pretty good outing pretty satisfactory in terms of his handling of the uh, of the offense and continues to show that he has grown as a passer. I mean, Florida State uh, had eight receivers, eight, eight guys catch passes in this game. Again, those are numbers that, that we're more familiar with going back to the, you know, dynasty era stuff. Eight receivers getting their hands on the football, spreading the wealth. That also keeps guys happy and interested. I mean, you get guys like Pittman, for example, who's had a really good first three weeks, but didn't have the numbers necessarily to back that up. Today, he, he, he had a couple punt returns, one of which counted for, for any stats, and then four catches where he was able to do some damage in, in the yards after catch game. That goes a long way towards making sure those guys stay interested and stay happy, and, and it certainly helps when you're winning too. Now, Travis did hit his hand on a helmet. That's actually a concern that I've had ever since I've, I've seen some of the mechanics that that uh, that they're doing in terms of how they're coaching the throwing motion. I don't like when guys pull their hands down on the uh, pull down on the ball as much as they are on the throwing motion. I don't believe in it. I don't think it's uh, biomechanically uh, efficient, and it also opens you up to hitting your hand on guys uh, guys helmets and things like that more when you're pulling down on the ball rather than extending down the line a little more. But I digress. In any case. It didn't actually look to me like he hit his thumb on the helmet, which is good. It looked like he more, you know, nailed his knuckles on there. So he'll probably have a little bit of a swollen hand and all of that, but uh, but probably not a sprained thumb, which is a real concern that you have when a guy does that. Uh, but uh, still going to have to probably monitor that this week and make sure that he gets that treated and all of that so that he's fully healthy to be able to throw well next week. In any case, he's definitely not fully healthy in terms of his lower body, but healthy enough to continue to make plays, continue to use his legs to escape the pocket, make plays on the run when needed. But fact is, he's managing the game from in the pocket. And you look at his numbers, and you got to be pretty satisfied with overall what you see. I mean, 300, what, 324 yards passing. This, is a, this was a very efficient 
outing, 321 yards passing, 177.9 passer rating. Very efficient outing from Jordan Travis. And again, that's exactly what you're asking for with him. That's what you want to see. And it certainly helps that the receivers at this point, I mean, I don't think it's a stretch to say that the receivers have been flat out dominant. And I mean, considering what we saw last year, where that was a team where if you single covered those guys, they they couldn't get open. They couldn't get off press coverage. They couldn't get open off of single coverage against pretty much anybody. And this year, when teams are single covering them, they're eating. And that is a huge, huge difference. And it's not just the the, the new guys. The, the new additions have made a huge difference, no doubt. I mean, Johnny Wilson, his presence alone, you, you saw a few times where they pulled it out and they showed, like, look, you've got the safety bracketing here with the corner. They're committing this extra player to the single receiver side. Well, that makes things easier for those guys on that other side. You're getting a bunch of one-on-one matchups, and guys are winning those one-on-one matchups. So you've had some development of some of the talented younger guys that, have been, that has been accentuated by the addition of a true number one receiver who's demanding double coverage. And they, they don't even have Winston Wright out there yet. So, and then Pittman, of course, his leadership and his uh, consistency at the wide receiver position and what he offers in terms of yards after catch and making some of those tough catches underneath and all of that, that also has really helped. So, I mean, this is, the receivers have been flat out dominant through four weeks and that has radically changed this offense. And of course, it's gone to help when, uh, help show what this offense can look like for elite receivers, and you get a guy like Hakeem Williams, who is now wanting to get in on this. He wants to be a part of this because he's seen proof of concept. And really, it's you had people who wanted to fire. I mean, everybody was convinced that that Ron Dugans was a bad recruiter and a bad coach. Amazing what a difference having talent in that room and having a little more experience in that room makes for how good a coach looks. And let this be a lesson to everybody out there who calls for coaches' jobs when it's really more of a matter of what guys they've got in the room, and it's not necessarily that coach's fault that you have the guys in the room that you do. You've got to consider all of those angles. Dugans did not suddenly become a, a, a superior wide receiver coach to what he was before. He's always been a good wide receiver coach, and he's always been a good recruiter. But he's been recruiting uphill for a while, and, and there's been a lot of other factors in play in terms of the receiver room for a long time, and suddenly things have broken through. And uh, yeah, what a difference that makes. It makes it a lot easier on a guy like Jordan Travis to be able to manage that game. Now, I do think the offensive line did not have quite as good a first half as they would have liked. You know, When we go back and we take a look at that, I'm going to pay a, a little closer attention to what Boston College did there. Uh, they, they came out in a lot of bare and double eagle fronts. I mean, they came in. It was very clear. They did exactly what I expected, what we talked about on the preview. They came in and sold out to stop the run. They And I love what they did game plan wise. They just didn't have the horses to pull it off. But they were going to force Florida State to throw the football and beat them downfield in one-on-one coverage to win this game. And Florida State just did over and over and over again. And then once they'd done that, that loosened some things up, and then the running game opened up, and from there, you know, the route was on. But, I mean, Florida State averaged, what, 5.1 yards per, per carry uh, on, you know, 35 carries for 180 yards, largely on the strength of a few big plays late. 
I mean, Treshawn Ward only averaged 3.4 yards per carry. They did a, a, a good job overall up front, and Florida State's offensive line could have played, overall could have played better in this game. And they definitely miss Robert Scott. I think you can see that. But again, they did overall, they got things together. I thought the second half, they were stronger. They handled some things and communicated on, on some things a little bit better. And they opened up those holes and continued to protect Travis pretty well. Uh, we did see some of the backups in garbage time. I, I was pleased by what I saw there. You saw Julian Armella, for one, at left tackle, and he definitely looks the part. Uh, you have to be happy with what you're seeing there. Uh, definitely has a long way to go fundamentally, but he's a guy that doesn't look like he doesn't belong out there. He looks like he belongs out there, for sure. So, uh, And that's encouraging. I, mean, he, I actually was tweeting, in the process of tweeting, Julian Armella on the field, starting to look the part. That looks good right when Trey Benson burst through that side of the, of, of the, of the line hole partly opened by Armella and went, went, went to the house. So again, this is, this is all, these are all good signs of program development continuing to develop depth. And ideally that guy doesn't have to start. He doesn't have to play meaningful minutes this year and potentially get all that wear and tear so that he can get a good off season in and be in position to really be a contributor next year. That's what you want. You want to be able to develop young young offensive linemen over time so so that they don't get banged up as freshmen and then get behind the eight ball and this is this has given them that opportunity. Getting them this these kind of garbage time reps though is super valuable. In any case, we're going to go ahead and flip over to the defensive side. I should also mention my sponsors, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Newsma of ShenRealEstate.com in the Research Triangle area of North Carolina, and Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida. Of course, EPR Creations and the Unconquered Podcast Shop, also worthy of mention here. But when we move over to the defense here, uh, we're talking about a, they, they just absolutely suffocated Boston College, and, and as as they should, that's a bad Boston College offense, and that's a that's an offensive line for Boston College that that can't block a Power Five defense, and Florida State just took care of business there. And the the positives were that you saw some of the young guys like Patrick Payton really starting to flash and showing some of the potential that made them the kind of recruits that people were excited about when they signed on. I mean, Patrick Payton flashed that little dip move where at a, with a guy his his height and length. When you get a guy that bends that well and can can burst around the edge there, it's not quite Brian Burns-esque. Uh, Burns was a little more explosive and a little smoother, but you know you're you're talking about that kind of that kind of ballpark where you're you're getting that kind of that kind of bend and that bodes well for the future, if not for you know further depth this year. So that's a plus. Uh, I think you could definitely see that the defense takes a step back the moment Tatum Bethune is not on the field. And you could see today, he, he played, he's hurting. That, that left shoulder uh, that he hurt against, uh, against Louisville is definitely impacting him. Uh, but he's, he's playing through it, and you could see as soon as this game got out of hand, they took him out, and, and they're keeping him kind of on bubble wrap, or in bubble wrap, so that he's prepared for when they, when they need him over the next three weeks. Uh, but overall... You know, they, we saw a lot of things, a lot of good things defensively. I thought this was the best coordinated this defense has looked in a while. I thought they looked pretty poorly coordinated, to be honest, last week when I went back and, and looked at some things against Louisville. Uh, that was, it was pretty frustrating to see. But um, 
I thought this week they they did a better job of of staying within their roles, doing their jobs, and and doing what you would expect a well coordinated defense to do. So that those are those are all positives. Again, against a really really bad defense or a bad offense, so you have to kind of grade on a curve there. But all you can do is grade the assignments. You can grade what they're what they're supposed to do, and do they do it, and do they do it with right technique, and do it correctly, and all of that. And we saw a lot of that today. Uh, also, you know this these kind of blowouts are really, really valuable because you get a lot of opportunities for young guys to play. We got to see a lot of guys play in this game that we haven't seen since, uh, since the Duquesne game. And, you know, that's really good for, for young guys and for, you know, backups for their psyche, for them to stay invested, to stay bought in, to stay involved, to make sure that they're working hard week out, week in, week out, when they actually get the reward on Saturday, when they you know play a quarter, quarter and a half, you get the rush of being able to play on Saturday, and then you feel good about yourself, and that that helps a lot. Uh, and you know we saw some good things from some of those young guys. I mean, I thought Azaria uh, looked, Azaria Thomas looked looked really good at corner. Few small mistakes and and communication things that need to be cleaned up. But again, a guy that sort of by second half of the year you think might might be getting more and more opportunities on the field and and he was the first guy in the secondary that that was out there once this game was in hand and and a couple mistakes couple small things but also you know pops off the screen at times in terms of what he brings to the table uh I, I actually liked what I saw from Feaster as well uh the, the the corner of the transfer from Jacksonville State uh he's a guy that I wasn't sure what what to expect from him with how late he transferred in but you know I think after what we saw tonight he might sort of work his way a little bit more into potential rotation territory as the year goes on. Uh, and at least you feel that you've got another guy depth-wise that isn't a disaster out there if you if you have to play him at corner. So that that's a plus. But, you know, this, this kind of win is a huge deal for program growth. Not only does it demonstrate program growth, because this is a Boston College team that, that took you to the wire last year, and then it's just not even close this year. Now, Granted, they've had some serious injuries up front and all that, but Florida State's not exactly made it through three games unscathed. They came into this game really banged up, and they you know double-tapped BC in the first quarter. So that shows you a lot about the, the overall turnover of the roster, the program growth. And the other thing that really stands out when you watch this Florida State team, it's really easy to like this team because this team is fully bought in. This team plays hard. I mean, you can see that just across the board, the level of accountability on both sides of the football. This team plays really hard, and they play with a lot of pride. Uh, and that's something that, you know, Florida State, for a long, long time, that was a that was a calling card. You know, going back all the way to when I was a practice dummy in the program, I mean, that, that's, that was what we took so much pride in. And what I'm seeing out there is the same kind of culture and pride and hard work, the culture of hard work and accountability that that was there in those days. Is this team as good as those teams? Of course not. The talent level is not what it was, but the culture and just the pride that you expect to see with the Florida State team is absolutely there. And that's something that, you know, as an alum, as someone who, you know, bled and and, uh, and sweat as a part of that program, it, it's really nice to see. Uh, and you can see, again, the defense runs so hard to the football. Guys doing their jobs, you know, a lot of hats to the football, gang tackling, 
and the other thing that I love seeing is, you know, not a bunch of extraneous celebrations after each tackle. It's guys getting right up and running to their spot and, and being prepared to play the next play. Uh, that again, the culture of that is showing that this team is really bought in and that they're a well-coached team overall. Uh, and offensively, this is an offense that blocks hard from inside out, offensive line, linebackers, running backs. Everybody blocks hard. Running backs finish runs. Wide receivers finish catches with a chip on their shoulder. This is a team that plays with a lot of pride. And it's a hardworking bunch, and they want folks to know how hard they've worked. And I, I think you can absolutely see that. And that goes a long way. When you've got enough talent, when you've got some playmakers, but maybe you're not as talented as you'd like to be, having a team that is fully invested and fully accountable and plays that hard and plays together that way, that that can compensate for certain gaps and holes in talent that you know more talented teams that don't do that have problems. I mean, the 2018 Florida State team was more talented than this team. This team would, would beat that team by 40 points because they, they've, they've changed the culture. They've flipped the roster, and they've changed the culture, and you can see that. And actually, a few other indications came out in terms of other games from teams that Florida State's already beaten that suggest that this Florida State team might be a little bit better than, than anybody realized coming out of three weeks. I mean, you got that close win against LSU, and everybody goes, well, you know... You know, how good is LSU really? You know, you, you come out and you beat Louisville on the road, and it's a quality win, especially given the injury situation and all that. But then, you know, it's, well, I mean, how good is Louisville really? And then you go out and you look and, you, you, you know, you scoreboard watch today, and Louisville blows out USF, the same USF team that should have beaten or at least taken Florida to overtime in the swamp. Louisville blew out USF 41-3 to today. LSU beat New Mexico 38 to nothing, you know, took care of business in that one. That's suggesting that those teams are maybe a little better than 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 any of us thought, and that suggests Florida State might actually be better than 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 folks thought. This might be a top 20, top 15 type Florida State team. Now, granted, that can change based on injuries and all of that. But what we saw today combined with those results, you know, you start thinking this team might be pretty good. Now, the next three weeks are going to tell us exactly how good this team is. The next three weeks are going to define the season. You've got Wake Forest off an emotional two-overtime home loss to Clemson, and that's a Wake Forest team with the best passing offense in the ACC with Sam Hartman at quarterback and those receivers, Green and A.T. Perry. Uh, Green was not there last year, but A.T. Perry gave Florida State all sorts of trouble last year. And now they've got Green to go with him. Uh, Green missed last year with an injury. That That's going to be a tough game. I mean, that's a Wake Forest team that that can score points on anybody. I mean, they showed it today. They scored 45 on on Clemson. So, granted, in, in overtime. But still, I mean, scored, what, 38 in regulation against Clemson. That's a really good Clemson defense. So that's a game that, again, is going to show you a lot. NC State is kind of the opposite. Defensively, they're close to as good defensively as Wake Forest is offensively. They have no, they have no defense. They have no offense right now in terms of what they've been able to show. They don't have explosive playmakers. They're struggling to to be efficient offensively, but defensively, they're very good. And again, another highly ranked team and probably unbeaten when you play them. And then you get Clemson, 
And everybody knows Clemson's been the measuring stick in the ACC for a long time. Most talented team in the conference. So the next three weeks are going to define the season. Now, here's the thing. Florida State can win all, could win any one of those games and can win all of those games. This Florida State team, the team that we just saw against Boston College, could beat all three of those teams. Should we expect them to win all three of those games? Probably not. But it all is going to start with what we see next week with, with Wake Forest. And I'm going to have to take a look at, at some more Wake Forest uh, more closely to, to get a sense of what I think is going to happen in that game. But I will say Wake Forest is coming off again a very emotional and very physical football game, which, and then they're going to be on the road. So as long as that game gets played, I mean, there, there's some hurricane stuff coming down the pike. As long as that game gets played and Florida State's able to prepare, uh, and you know that doesn't get delayed by by hurricane as well. You have to think Florida State's going to have every chance to to win that game, and they do that, and all of a sudden, folks start talking about this program having really turned a corner. But to be honest, I think when we when we all go back and we're able to evaluate this with the benefit of hindsight in a year or two, we're going to look at this Boston College game as sort of the the moment where it was clear that Florida State had really turned a corner that Mike Norvell really had, had gotten the program back off the ground and that they were ready, that, that Florida State is starting to get ready to compete with the best in the conference and then eventually uh, out, even outside the conference. That'll do it for us. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, ShenRealEstate.com in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach in Broward County, and the Unconquered Podcast shop at UnconqueredPodcast.com, which features stickers, magnets, and other seminal gear. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. I'm especially grateful to those above the dynasty level, that is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Jonathan Kennedy, Lee Caswell, Travis Smith, Tyler Kashishki, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, post us on social media, and tell a friend. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.